Good morning. It was a real blessing having Anne and Mark here this morning in our worship time. We started off, uh, this church started as a small Bible study in my home, and about eight or nine years ago, we uh, had a Bible study, and uh, Anne and Mark, I think they came up from the South Shore in their motorcycles, and Anne led worship, that first, um, that first Bible study that we had uh, uh, many years ago now. And another guy, actually, who was at that first Bible study, my brother Mark. Uh, Mark, would you please stand up? This is Mark, my big little brother, Mark. Uh, he, uh, he'll be with us uh, on and off uh, this summer. A couple more announcements. Aaron Wentz, some of you uh, were here with us uh, about six months ago uh, on a Sunday night where Aaron Wentz, who is from Open Air Campaigners uh, Missionary Organization, uh, came and uh, shared with us. Uh, he is a full-time evangelist. Actually, that's what open air campaigners do. They, they go out on the streets and they tell people about Jesus. Well, he is going to be uh, here in this pulpit uh, two weeks from today, and then at 1 o'clock after the service, he is going to be giving a two-hour workshop on how to share Jesus with people. Have you ever really uh, struggled with just fear and shame and not knowing what to say when it uh, came to just telling someone about Jesus. Come on, everyone raise your hand. Everyone raise their hand. <laughs> I tell you, I'll be the first one. I always say, whenever I uh, share Jesus with someone, I, I'm always thinking to myself, okay, this is like jumping into a cold pool. I just got to do it, you know? And uh, it's always, though, it's such a time of refreshing, uh, this... Um, when we do that, but uh, he's going to be here, and he's just going to uh, have a, a couple-hour workshop about how some practical things that we can do uh, to uh, share when sharing our faith, either at work or or in your neighborhood, or to your family, or or on, on the street like he does. And so uh, there will be a sign-up uh, in the back for that. Also uh, this evening. Pastor Dan Setkowski is going to be here. Uh, Dan has uh, been a good friend uh, of mine here for about 10 years now. We actually do the baptisms at his house. We just had a baptism at his, uh, at his church uh, a couple months ago. And uh, if no other reason, you have to come tonight to get Dan's autograph. This is a man who has, he and his wife, has eight kids. Now, now some of you who have two or three kids may look at my wife and I go, Wow, five kids. That's incredible. Well, my wife and I look at Dan and go, eight kids. That's just unbelievable. And But anyway, uh, in the city, no less. I mean, it's not like he's out in the country, you know, come on, kids, go out to the barn and milk the cows. I mean, it's nothing like that, you know. And, and But he is a blessing, and I've heard him teach before. Uh, he will be uh, here this Sunday night. And, you know, uh, I invite... Uh, others from time to time to speak uh, here at church, not because uh, I want free time or anything. Uh, I love preaching the Word of God. I could do it twice a Sunday, every single Sunday. I do it because I want to see, uh, one, what, one, for one, what God is doing through other churches in Boston. We are not the only church. Calvary Chapel is not the only church. Uh, every church that uh, believes in the Word of God and declares it uh, uh, we support and we pray for. Many times you hear Greg up here praying uh, for uh, for other churches in the city. So uh, Dan Zetkowski, uh this evening. Okay, please rise for the reading of God's Word. If you don't have a Bible, uh, please raise your hand. We are in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 7. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Verse 29, but I say, brethren, the time is short, so that from now on, even those who have wives should be as those, as, should be as though they had none. Those who weep, 
as though they did not weep. Those who rejoice as though they did not rejoice. Those who buy as though they did not possess. And those who use this world as not misusing it. For the form of this world is passing away. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you for this just really, really heavy and intense and and radical message, Lord, that Paul just uh, interjects into this letter, Lord. Just the Holy Spirit just uh, reminding us, Lord, what life is like, that, that it's short, that it's passing away, that it's fleeting, that the time is urgent, that, Lord, Hundreds of thousands are are drifting away into eternity uh, every month, Lord, uh, without you. And and that um, we need to be getting on uh, with your business, Lord. But we need your grace to do that, Lord. We need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. I pray that you fill each and every believer this morning with the Holy Spirit who is in this room, Lord, and that you would guide us and open our ears, open our eyes, open up our minds and souls to your word. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, you may be seated. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, the Apostle Paul uh, begins to answer a series of questions that the Corinthians had written to him, uh, hence the uh, first verse of the chapter, now concerning the things of which you wrote to me. And the question uh, that they had, the questions they had for Paul is, uh, were, were about marriage. They were about sex within marriage. They were about being single. You know, now that I'm a Christian, uh, should I remain single? Well, if I'm married, uh, am I permitted to get a divorce in any situation? How about if I have an unbelieving spouse? How about if I have an unbelieving spouse and, and he abandons me? Uh, what am I supposed to do now uh, uh, with, uh, in marriage? And, and the Apostle Paul, he patiently answers these questions. And um, if you weren't here the last couple of weeks, you may want to get the CDs. Uh, we went over the answer to those things. And he goes into great detail uh, throughout this, really, this whole chapter uh, about uh, marriage and about being single and, and, and these types of things. But to make sure that the Corinthians uh, don't lose focus on what is the most important thing in life. He interjects these verses that we just read, verse 29. But this I say, brethren, the time is short, so that from now on even those who have wives should be as though they had none. Those who weep as though they did not weep. Those who rejoice as though they did not rejoice. Those who buy as though they did not possess. And and those who use uh, this world as not misusing it. For the form of this world is passing away. And so he's saying, listen, Corinthians, I'm happy to talk with you about marriage. I'm happy to talk with you about issues of sex. I'm happy to talk with you about uh, the, the, the being single thing and whatever other issue. Uh, you may write to me about. But let me tell you, don't lose sight of this. Your life is not about being married. Your life is not about single, being single. Your not, life is not about uh, having sex and, 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 and within the marriage. Uh, your life is about Jesus Christ and serving Him. And, and so he interjects the, uh, this, and then he goes on to continue talking after these verses uh, about marriage. Really, we've already uh, covered those verses uh, in a previous uh, sermon. But I just love how the Holy Spirit always takes us back to what we need the most. We need Jesus. And, 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 and the Holy Spirit knows that. The Apostle Paul knows that. And, and so um, he, he, he comes up with these, um, the Holy Spirit uh, interjects, he, he inserts uh, these verses uh, for us, for our uh, edification. And so that's the three-minute version of my sermon. <laughs> but let's go and, and break these verses down. Verse 29 says, the time is short. Now, Paul is probably... Uh, referring there to uh, his belief that Jesus would be coming back soon. 
Uh, a few months ago, we completed a study in the book of Matthew, and one of the things we saw at the end of the book of Matthew was Jesus' promise. He promised to return, and, and he could not possibly have been clear in the last few days of his life and, and he was also kept on talking about it after his resurrection, when he uh, appeared after his resurrection, that he was going to come back. And then even after he rose up into heaven, uh, he left witnesses behind to attest to this fact that he is coming back, Acts chapter 1. Uh, I, I love this verse. Jesus goes up into heaven before a large group of disciples. Everyone's looking up in the sky where he had gone, and two angels uh, sort of appear and just out of the blue they start talking and they're like men of Galilee why do you stand gazing up into heaven uh, this man Jesus who was taken um, up to heaven uh, he will return in a like manner as you saw him go and, and, and so uh, back to our verse verse 29 uh, people sometimes ask why is Paul saying that time is short I mean after all he lived 2,000 years ago and Jesus hasn't come back that's a very good question. We need to ask ourselves and, and not be intimidated by uh, questions like that. Uh, the only thing I can really say about that is that ever since Jesus went up into heaven uh, and those two angels said, guess what? He's going to come back the same way he came. God has put into the heart of every Christian a burning expectation for his return. Each generation of Christians uh, has, um, uh, from the time Jesus was taken up into heaven right up until the present, uh, in a very real way, uh, we've been looking up to the sky with the same question, with the same expectation, with, with the same hope. Uh, come, Lord Jesus, now. And, and that is the way that Jesus wants us to live. In Matthew 24, we studied, Jesus talked about the evil servant. The evil servant. He called him the evil servant who said, Oh, my master's delaying his coming. It's evil, the Bible says, to just say, Oh, you know, he hasn't come for the last 2,000 years. He won't be here for another 1,000. The Bible says, Jesus says, that's, that's evil. That's what the evil servant does. And, and then he goes off and, and basically lives a life according to the flesh. Uh, the, uh, Jesus says the wise and faithful servant lives with the expectation that he will be coming at any uh, moment. Now, I, um, one thing that um, you can't argue with, and that is we're a lot closer today to Jesus' return than Paul was. Uh, and I'm not, the Bible speaks uh, uh, loud and clear about a number of things that must occur prior to Jesus' coming. We went over uh, many of these uh, in our study of Matthew 24, uh, but among many other things, uh, things that are clear in the Bible and that are occurring in our own generation or the generation before us, uh, the prophet Isaiah and the prophet Zechariah made clear that, that right before or before Jesus returns, the Jews would come from all over the world back to the nation of, uh, back to the area of Palestine. And that happened uh, from the late 1800s right up into the 40s. Uh, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands returning, um, all different languages coming to uh, the area of Palestine. The book of uh, Revelation said that uh, a nation would be established and Jerusalem must get into um, Jewish hands. Now, that's very interesting. In 1948, Israel was established, but they didn't have Jerusalem. And so one might have asked at the time, well, what's up with Revelation? What's up with these other verses that make clear that Jerusalem's going to be in Jewish hands. Well, that happened in 1967. And, and, then the, and Jesus, of course, makes clear that the temple is going to be there uh, before his return. And so people, um, that's only possible, of course, if the Jews have Jerusalem, uh, where, the, where the temple uh, res, uh, resided and will reside. And, and, and pe of course, people are now talking in, in, in Israel about rebuilding the temple. And then, the, you know, the list goes on in Revelation. A world financial system must be in place. That was never possible until the last 50 years. A technology where, which permits buying and selling through having a chip 
underneath the hand. Well, guess what? People, that technology exists, and there are people with chips in them as we speak. Uh, and, and, and so in, in the um, book of Revelation also talks and speaks of the whole entire world being able to watch certain events. Well, how was that possible until, until television, you know, in the last 60 or 70 years? The book of Daniel uh, speaks of right before Jesus' return, the knowledge, that knowledge will increase and that the speed that man travels will increase. And, 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 and so uh, in the book of Revelation, it talks, speaks about the emergence uh, of a one-world leader, and we hear about, talk about a one-world order. And then in the Rev- book of Revelation, it says, a nation capable of fielding an army of 200 million was going to emerge in the end times. Well, up until the last century, that was ridiculous. But guess what? China can do that now easily, <laughs> a standing army of 200 million people. And so, you know, I personally, and I've shared this before, you know, I, I get kind of nervous when people, they can go off the deep end when it comes to end time stuff. And, you know, you read all kinds of things like, you know, uh, Putin is the, the Antichrist because he was born on 6066, you know, things like that. And, and you know, and, and I get real nervous. And, uh, but the thing is, there, there's some things that just so abundantly clear. Like, like the ones that we, uh, really the ones that we just talked about, but I was just reading about another over the weekend. Uh, in the book of Zephaniah chapter 3, it says that the Hebrew language will be restored. Now that was written, the prophet Zephaniah wrote that, at a time where the Hebrew language was alive and well. Well, in fact, by the time, many scholars believe that even by the time Jesus lived, Hebrew was, was a dead language. And then everyone agrees that by the year 100, after the dispersion of the, the Jewish people, it, was, um, it became a dead language. No one spoke it for 2,000 years, only in like prayers, like Latin, like some, some Catholic services use Latin today. Uh, that, that's what, what Hebrew was like for 2,000 years. And I was um, reading this article. It's actually a Time magazine article uh, about uh, Ben Yehuda. Anyone ever hear him? All right. Good eschatology people. Good. Anyway, he lived in the late 1800s. And and listen to this fascinating story. His name used to be Eliezer Perelman. He was, uh, uh, according, I'm just reading now, it says, a nobody, a young scholar in Vilna on the Baltic coast of what was then the Russian Empire, the land of the persecution, Jewish persecution. He knew Russian, German, and French, but what bewitched him was Hebrew, the scriptural language that he had first learned from a tutor at the age of three. Ever since he, ever since the Jews were uh, driven uh, from the Roman Palestine in AD 135, this is Time Magazine now, this isn't some, uh, you know, eschatology maniac. Uh, This is Time Magazine. We know about time. (laughs) It says... Hebrew had survived only as a literary language, primarily of prayer. No one had actually spoken it in everyday affairs for centuries. It did not not even have words for such mundane things as pencils or forks. But he, Eliezer Perelman, would change all that. He started by changing his name to Ben Yehuda, meaning the son of Judea. And at the age of 23, he sailed with his new wife, Devorah, to the Ottoman Empire's province of Palestine. Hebrew today is the mother tongue of three million Israelis. But when Ben Yehuda landed, there were fewer than 25,000 Jews in Palestine, and most of them spoke Arabic, Yiddish, or the Spanish Jewish dialect known as Ladino. Exactly a hundred years ago, his wife gave birth to a son in Jerusalem. Ben Yehuda uh, named him Ben Zion and vowed that he would become the first baby since Roman times to learn Hebrew as his mother tongue. When more children appeared, 11 in all, they too had to speak entirely in the dead language that Ben Yehuda was almost single-handedly bringing back to life, recalls his daughter, Dola Ben Yehuda Whitman, now 75. Sometimes the other children would mock us because they didn't understand the Hebrew words we were using. Mockery was only the beginning. Orthodox rabbis 
denounced Ben Yehuda's particular obsession as a defilement of the language of scripture. Fanatics who heard young Ben Zion talking to his dog in Hebrew seized the dog and killed it. There were other kinds of oppositions as well. Immigrants who had been nurtured in Yiddish clung emotionally to the language of the diaspora. Even Zionist uh, leader Theodore Herzl rejected Ben Yehuda's campaign as impractical. Prophets transcend practicality. Well, it's an interesting thing coming from Time magazine. And Ben Yehuda labored on. He started uh, Jerusalem's first Hebrew newspaper in 1883. He founded in 1889 what is now the authoritative Hebrew Language Academy. He published in 1909 what would eventually become the 16-volume standard of a dictionary of Hebrew. Among the first of his most important disciples were school teachers who found in Hebrew a way to instill in each wave of newcomers a sense of themselves and of their once and future nation Shortly before his death, the newly established British authorities recognized Hebrew, Arabic, and English as the official language of Palestine. When Israel was reborn in 1948, so was Hebrew. Wow. Zephaniah chapter 3 said a pure tongue language once that was once the language of the Jews would be established when they all came back. And what a miracle. God just put in this man, just the zeal in the man to, to establish it. And so it does look like the time is short, that the time is short. So in light of that, how should we live our lives? Well, we should be living our lives like the faithful servant. Expecting that as soon as tonight, tomorrow this week, or next month, that our master will return. And, and so what does the faithful servant do when there's a field outside that needs to be broken up and tilled? He breaks up and tills it. What does a faithful servant do when he sees a, a, a field that needs seed? He, he throws seed there. What does a, servant, a faithful servant do when uh, he sees a field coming up and it needs watering? He waters it. And, and what does a faithful servant do when there's a harvest that needs to be brought in? He goes out to the harvest. And, you know, it appears that Jesus may be coming soon. What does that mean for us who live in Boston? Well, let me tell you, the fields are hard up here. They're frozen, literally and spiritually. And so we need to be breaking up the field, the frozen field, the hard fields. And there are fields that have already been broken up. We need to be putting seed there. there be, there's already places, fields, where the seed has been put and, and the... And the and, the, the, the plants are, are sprouting up. They need watering. We need to be watering. And then there are also, um, there is a harvest out there uh, that needs to be brought in, and we need to be out there doing it. So Paul is saying in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, time is short. We have to live our lives totally focused on him, his fields, uh, breaking them up, seeding them, watering them, bringing in the harvest. We need to be absolutely surrendered to his will. So, well, what, what does that say um, about how we should conduct everything else in our life? Again, Paul reads it, the time is short. He says, so that now, from now on, even those who have wives should be as though they had none. That's an interesting verse. It is... It's the type of verse that, you know, from time to time it'll be taken out of context and used by men thinking they're really, really spiritual to get involved in every conceivable church activity or spiritual thing or whatever. And, and in doing so, they'll neglect their wives. It's like, wow, a verse I can finally justify my life with. I like this. I'm going to cut it out and put it over my doorpost, you know, in my bedroom, whatever. Uh, and, and you do hear uh, this kind of thing. But that is just so far from the truth. What did we learn at the very beginning of this chapter? Uh, 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 7, verse 3. Let the husband render to his wife the affection due her. And, and Paul says in Ephesians 5.25, Husband loves your wives uh, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, uh, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water in the word. So, so husbands, you need to invest in your wives. 
You need to invest in them, and that takes time. You need to wash them in the water of the word. You need to serve them. You need to bless them. And so um, I will tell you this, and I can say this with complete confidence, that I've never met a spiritual man. I've never met a a spiritual man, without uh, exception, uh, who was married, who had a best friend, I'm talking about human beings now, other than his wife. Not even one. I'll turn that around. Every spiritual man I have ever met, without exception, who was also married, counted his wife as his best friend on earth. A spiritual man never neglects his wife and counts it as an extraordinary blessing to be with his wife. So then, what on earth does this verse mean? From now on, uh, even those who have wives should be as those who had none. Let me just give you an example from my life. My wife, Stephanie, is my delight, but she's not my life. Now, I'm happy to report to you today that I am my wife, Stephanie's delight but I'm not her life. You want to see a dysfunctional marriage? You want to see a miserable marriage? Go find a marriage where a man's life is his wife. You want to see a dysfunctional marriage, a marriage whose days are numbered? Go find a marriage where a woman's life is her husband. If a woman makes her husband her life, he will let her down over and over and over again. I don't care how spiritual he is. If a woman makes her husband her life, she will drive him crazy. (laughs) Proverbs 21.19, better to live in a desert than with a quarrelsome and ill-tempered wife. doesn't stop there. Proverbs 27, 15, a quarrelsome wife is like a constant dripping on a rainy day. Restraining her is like, the, uh, is like restraining uh, the wind or grasping oil with the hand. And then my favorite. <laughs> Proverbs 25, 24, it's better to live on the corner of a roof than with a quarrelsome wife. Some of you women are saying, stop, we get the point. Anyway, just one more. Okay, better to have your nails pulled out than... I'm just kidding, that's not there. Um, But seriously, seriously, these proverbs are about women who made their husbands their life. That's what those proverbs are about. Listen, women, and I'm talking both to married women and to single women who desire to be married. A man is no substitute for Jesus Christ. A man is the most, really, and I'm saying this completely serious, most miserable substitute for the Lord Jesus Christ. A man, a husband, is not a substitute. Uh, You need women to make the Lord your life. You know, my wife, Stephanie, and I have been married almost 19 years, and and almost from the start, uh, the Lord has really used our marriage as an encouragement and as a testimony to people. It's been an enormous blessing. She's my best friend. Uh, She's my lover. She's my encourager. And she rebukes real well, too. And guess what? I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful for that. I need a wife who will get right in my face and say, no, that's wrong. I need that. Uh, And and, uh, there's no human being I would rather be with than her. And, and, And 
and we've had just an enormous blessing of a marriage. Well, how do you explain it? Well, you may think this is crazy, but it's the very principle in this verse. Those who have wives should be as those who had none. Does it mean I ignore her? No. It doesn't mean I go off and do whatever I want? No. Does it mean I just read my Bible and tell the, the people about Jesus all day? Uh, no, of course it doesn't. But it means I don't allow my wife to steer me off the course that God has for my life. It means I don't allow my wife to steer me off the course that God has for my life. When I allow my wife to steer me off course, the course that God has for me, everything else in my life will suffer, including in the biggest way, in the long run, my marriage. My marriage has been such an enormous blessing because I am married to a woman who has been willing to stay the course with me. The course, by the way, that God has set out for both of us. Now, it hasn't always been easy. You know, before we were married, uh, my wife Stephanie, uh, she made a, a list of things that she wanted in a husband and another list of things that she did not want in a husband. And top of that list of, of things that she did not want a husband, Lord, I don't care what my husband wants to do with his life, with one exception, he can't be a pastor. Very top of her list. So, you know, we get happily married. I could marry a lawyer, she said. Yeah, I really like that. What do I do about six months later? Baby, guess what? I'm called to be a pastor. She cried. <laughs> then I said, and baby, guess what? I, I, I'm called to be a, a pastor in the city. She sobbed. She, she was a country girl. She grew up in the country. And then I said, well, guess what else? I'm called to, to, to be in a city up north. She's still sobbing about that one because she hates the cold. I mean, you know, it's just, but not really. She's not sobbing about that one. God, but but it, it, seriously, it hasn't been easy. But, but what God did in, in, in her life is, was so beautiful because um, the Holy Spirit began speaking the same thing to her as he was speaking to me. And, and she realized that she needed to give her life completely over to God. And it didn't matter where that took her absolute surrender and there's no other way really when Jesus is in your life it's absolute surrender there's a man uh, David Duplessis he was a famous Pentecostal uh, leader from Africa world leader he, he died about 10 or 15 years ago but he said this he said, tens of thousands of men have, uh, have been called into ministry, but their wives would not let them go. That's true. You know, Pastor Randy Cahill from uh, Rockland was here a few weeks ago, and he was, for part of his message, he was talking about Samson and Delilah, and, and Samson was in love with a Philistine woman named Delilah, and uh, the Philistines told her, look, we'll give you 1,100 pieces of silver if you can find out the secret of his great strength. And then just one of the most amazing verses in the Bible. So Delilah went to Samson and said, Samson, uh, please tell me the secret of your great sense, of your great strength, so you may be bound and afflicted. What? <laughs> you know, what does he see in this woman? You know, and, 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 you know, why does Samson stay with her? But, you know, actually, wise, and, and, and I'm not picking on you. We'll get to the husbands. But, but, but listen, what Delilah is doing or was doing, you can do to your husband. You want to bind and afflict your husband? I'll tell you what to do. You want to bind him and afflict him. Insist that he give you the American dream. Just insist upon it. 
just you know how Delilah says that you know Samson didn't uh, tell her the secret of his strength, and he just uh, she nagged him and nagged him and nagged him until finally he said, "Okay, okay, you insist on your husband delivering that to you. Insist on that spacey house, that car, that vacation." Insist that um, he put 10, uh, uh, 15, 20 things, actually even one thing, over his devotion time with the Lord. Insist that he stay home with you rather than uh, go serve the Lord. You do that, and you will bind him, and you will afflict him. You'll tie him up. You'll tie him up with the cords of the world. And he and you, guess what, will wind up in a second, third, or fourth-rate marriage if you wind up married at all. You say, are you serious? I'm dead serious. And husband, it's the exact same way with you. If you pull your wife away from serving the Lord, no, honey, I really don't want you to go to that prayer meeting. I want my fried chicken and baked beans. No, honey, I'd rather go to the movie tonight. Please, no Bible study. Honey, uh, what do you mean? Uh, uh, what is, what's going on here? Do you love me more than your Bible? Come to bed now. You do that, and you'll bind her and afflict her. Men, there's a better way. Wives, let your husband live hard after the Lord. Husband, let your wives live hard after the Lord, to run hard after him. So wives, let me tell you, there will be times when you are really, really not going to like the price you have to pay to allow your husband to serve the Lord. You need to let it go. Husbands, let me tell you, there will be times when you are really, really, really not going to like the price you have to pay to allow your wife to serve the Lord. You need to let it go. And that's what Paul is saying in 1 Corinthians 7, 29, when he says, those who have wives should be as those who had none. He is saying time is short. The form of this world is passing away. There's people falling into eternity to a place where Jesus says there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. We need to be about his business. Jesus is your life. Get busy. And so then he says in verse 30, those who weep as though they did not weep. So he says, time is short. Uh, Let those who weep be as those who did not weep, those who rejoice as though they did not rejoice. Now, of course, this doesn't mean that really, really spiritual people don't cry or really, really spiritual people uh, don't uh, laugh and rejoice, although that's you know, you be hang around some Christians, it's sort of kind of like that. Uh, and, and, but no, in Romans 12, 15, the Apostle Paul says, Rejoice uh, with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. First Thessalonians 5, 16. I love this. Uh, it's one of the verses I put over one of our uh, doorposts at our house. Rejoice always. A good two-word verse. Rejoice always. And why? Because the Lord is your strength. So what's Paul talking about? Time is short, so... Uh, Weep as though you don't weep. Rejoice as though you don't rejoice. Well, he's saying this. Hang on to the things of this world very loosely. Why? The end of verse 31, he says, because the form of this world is passing away, meaning everything you see now, it's going to pass. And and let me tell you, it was a little hard to convince me of that when I was uh, 23. Now I'm 43, and it's getting a lot, lot easier to convince me of that. The time is short. The world is, uh, that everything that we see, it, it, it's passing. And, and Jesus' is, time is, is drawing near. And so um, uh, don't get too attached to it. So when a man or woman is wholly devoted to Jesus Christ, when his or her eyes are fixed on him, when the one glory, the one pri- the prize of their life uh, is doing his will, they weep but not as one who weeps. They rejoice, but not as one who rejoices. They, in other words, they don't allow their sorrow to consume them, to swallow them up. They don't allow just the exhilaration of life, and life can be exhilaration, exhilarating. God, that's because of God's grace, and he does that with us to give us a, a picture of heaven. But 
but it, uh, it, we shouldn't let our happiness even uh, to consume us. Because as tragic as life can be, as exhilarating as life can be, you must not allow a tragedy or exhilaration even uh, to separate you from Jesus. And let me tell you, both of those things will do that. But God is faithful. Romans chapter 8, Paul said this, I am persuaded that neither death nor life, neither height nor death, can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. And so then Paul goes on to say there, he says, and um, those who buy as though they did not possess, and those who use this world as not misusing it. So he says, those who buy as those who do not possess. So what he's saying there, uh, by now, at this point, you're, you're probably, um, you, you probably are guessing exactly what he's meaning. It means that life is passing away. Be careful not to allow your heart to get rooted in your possessions. Brothers and sisters, listen. Money, possessions are so deceptive. They, 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 they will lie to you. They will deceive you. In and of themselves, there's nothing wrong with them. But so oftentimes I see this happen in the life of a Christian. God will bless them. They start earning some serious cash. Uh, then they start bringing home some serious toys. And, 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 and before you know it, you get caught up in it all, and two or three years go by, and pretty soon you're living for it. Your whole life is about accumulating it. And, and, and sometimes you hear things like, well, you know, I, I, I'm just going to work like mad crazy for the next two or three years. I'm going to get financially secure, and then I'm going to go out and live for the Lord. That's a lie. That is a lie. Nonsense. Paul said, those who buy be as though you, uh, though, uh, you did not possess. God wants all of you now. You know, here at Calvary Chapel, we don't pass a plate. We don't ask for money, and very rarely do I even talk about money. Well, I do talk about it when we get to that place in the Bible, because we always go chapter by chapter, verse by verse, and we come upon a verse where it talks about money, we talk about it. I would, I would be negligent as a pastor if I didn't teach about those things, because we need to hear them. Uh, well... Uh, probably haven't mentioned something in a couple years, but guess what? Paul says here, those who buy as, those, as though they did not possess and those who use this world as those not misusing it. And, and, so, and so what is he saying there? What is he saying? How do I learn to buy or have things but live as if you didn't possess them? Well, the Bible has an answer to that. The Word of God says that if you want to learn how to buy things but live as if you did not possess them, uh, it, it says that you need to give the first fruits. You need to give the first fruits of everything that comes into your life. Throughout the Bible, uh, you see the people of God tithing, giving 10% of everything they earn and giving it to God. Now, I remember 20 years ago when I first became a Christian, uh, my pastor, Stephanie and, and my pastor at the time, gave a two-part series on tithing. And I got to tell you, I listened to this and I said, you got to be kidding me. I, I, this, is, this is fanatical. This is crazy. I mean, I'll come to church. I'll be holy and, and, and you know, I, 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 I will lay aside the crazy lifestyle. I'll even go out witnessing. But give 10% of my money? What are you, nuts? And, 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 and so uh, the thing, though, about this pastor is that he loved me. <laughs> he loved us. We knew him well. I, I've been blessed. Every pastor th that I've had since I uh, got saved was just, there was such humility in their lives. I knew this guy uh, didn't want my money. I knew that. And, you know, Steph and I just decided to just wing it and say, well, as the Bible says it, let's just start doing it. And we actually weren't able to do 10% at the beginning, but we started working up there. And I got to tell you, it was the best thing that ever happened to us. You want to get rid of your greed, you give it away. You want to get rid of your selfishness, you give it away. You want to get rid, rid of that big old gold chain around your neck, you give that away. 
And, 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 and seriously, we become attached to these things. And, and, and the best thing the Bible says is give it away. When we are giving on a consistent basis of whatever comes in, what we find is that we can live and we can buy, we can own things, and yet it's like as we don't own them. You know, I, I, you know, I even think of, of, of your house. And my best advice to you is to, when you have a house and, and you're feeling really attached to it, give it away. Now, do I mean, uh, like, literally give the title deed to someone? Well, no, although, hey, God wants you to do that. I'm not going to get in the way. But, but one thing that we've learned is, is that give away our house. Just let people come and live in it from time to time. Of course, we're in America. You'd never do that. Your house is your castle. But, and, and, and we've resisted it with all our hearts. But, but we've just said, look, we've got to live according to the word of God. People have come in to live with us from time to time for one, two, three-month period, sometimes a year. And it's just been such a blessing. It has just been such an enormous blessing. And, and, and so that's what, what the Bible teaches, and that's what Paul is teaching here. He's saying, listen, uh, when you buy, be as those who do not possess. And, and, and then it says, and when you use the world, meaning when you're using the world, he's meaning your, your job, your school, whatever. You're basically using the world in a good way to earn a living or whatever, but don't be as one who's not using it. In other words, just don't get caught up in it. What a great exhortation. I just love these verses. And so I want to close now uh, just with, uh, with a time of, um, we're going to have communion. Actually, why, doesn't, why don't the worship team uh, come up? You know, 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ came into Jerusalem a week before, actually a week before he, he, he rose from the dead, about three, four or five days before he was, he was crucified. And in the most public way, he made it known that he was the promised Messiah, that he was the Son of God. that the peace that had been promised since the beginning of the, the, the world, the reconciliation between man and God through his son, that he was the son. And, and he, he communicated in just the loudest way by everything that he did. Uh, he, he came into the Jerusalem on a donkey. And for those of you who are with us on Sunday nights, that's what kings did, Solomon uh, went out. Remember, he, when he went crowned to be king, he went out on a donkey. And the Bible says that when, when the king comes on a donkey, he comes, he comes in peace. When he comes a, 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 on a horse, <laughs> he comes for battle. Actually, the book of Revelation says Jesus will come on a horse. But, but uh, 2,000 years ago, Palm Sunday, we call it, Jesus came in on a donkey. And, and then when he came into the city, uh, it says the multitude worshipped him. And, and instead of stopping them, he encouraged them. When they said, when the Pharisees came to him and said, listen, you've got to tell these people to be quiet. No, he said, if they are quiet or someone silences them, even the rocks will cry out. And then he said, from the lips of children and infants, God has perfected praise. Wow. And, 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 then, and then he went and he cleared out the temple. He knocked over the money-changing tables. And what was he demonstrating there? That he was greater than the temple. He had authority over the temple. Uh, he healed the blind and the lame, which the, bio, the, the Old Testament was so clear that you'll know the Messiah just through an outburst of healing. And then he went to, then he was, uh, eventually he was, that same week, just a few days later, he was arrested. He was mocked. He was beaten. And he was crucified. And the Bible says that the reason that he was crucified was to pay the penalty for the sin that you and I have committed and will commit that we can never pay for. 
And the Bible says the penalty for that is death. So we have a choice. Each and every person in this room has a choice. Either you can pay the penalty for your own sin or you can allow Jesus to pay it for you. Because you're going to appear before Jesus. You're going to appear before God. And you will have to give an account for your life. Now, I don't know about you, but when I give an account for my life, I don't want to be doing it based upon how I have lived it. I want to do it based upon what Jesus did for me and that he said that he did for me. And so we're going to have communion, but before we have communion, I'm going to give you an opportunity. If you have never in your life given your life to Christ, asked Jesus in your life, put your faith in him, and, and said uh, and, and really demonstrated publicly because Jesus, the Bible says that when God calls us, he calls us publicly. If you have never really exchanged your life for Jesus' life, I want you to come up here and I want to pray through with you because you can do that simply by a, a prayer of faith. You know, I've been talking this morning about you need, we need to make Jesus our life. Well, if you've never made Jesus your life, I want you to come up. Communion, the Lord's Supper, where we drink the, the grape juice and we, we eat a cracker, bre the bread. Jesus established that for Christians, for, for people who had asked Jesus into their life, who wanted to follow him. He established it for Christians. And so if you have never really established in your life that Jesus is your life, I want you to come up and I want you to just put the stake in the ground right now with me. And you may say, well, that's crazy. There's all these people in here. Well, guess what? Uh, virtually every person who is a Christian in here uh, who has done that in the past, who's exchanged their life for Jesus' life, they've done the same thing. And they, and they will be rejoicing if you come up. So I want to, uh, uh, as the worship team sings a song, I want uh, anyone who's never done that, uh, if you haven't done that in your life, I want you to come up. And the rest, um, the rest of you, I just appreciate if you bow your heads, close your eyes, and you worship as you uh, listen uh, to the uh, worship team. life to Christ, if you've never asked Jesus in your heart, if you'd like to pray with me while people are going back and, and getting the, the elements, please come up and do that.
you haven't gone back to get the grape juice and crackers, please do so now. And if, I'm, if I've been talking and God has been tugging on your heart to, to come up and pray, but you're fearful, I, I will tell you this, that fear is not from God. Fear is not from God. If you want to, to come up and give your life to Christ, please do so now. Amen. Okay, the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 said this, For I received from the <coughs> Lord that which I also delivered to you. that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks he broke it and said take, eat this is my body which is broken for you do this in remembrance of me In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you so much for your word. And we thank you so much for the word. Who was made flesh and dwelt among us. And loved us and suffered for us. with a heart full of sorrow and joy, faithfully went to the cross for us, breaking his body, spilling the blood. We thank you for that. We thank you, Jesus, for your faithfulness, for your grace. We ask now for the grace to live this life that you have called us to. We ask you for the grace to, to allow the people who live around us to live the life <coughs> that you have called them to. We ask the, for the grace, grace to live um, for those of us with, with wives, with husbands, as though we had none. To live as uh, when we weep as though we didn't, when, as when we rejoice as though we didn't rejoice, as when we buy as those who did not possess, as those who use the world, as those who were not using it. We, we need grace. We, we need you, Lord. We need you to fill us with the Holy Spirit. Father God, your word says that you come among us, you come not only with word, but with power. We need the power, the power of the Holy Spirit to go out into the harvest, to go till the soil, to spread seed, to, to water it, Lord. Father, I just pray for each and every brother and sister here, Lord. Touch their, their hurts, Lord, their sorrows, and use their hurts and sorrows to, to glorify your name, Lord. I pray that you touch their 
touch their happiness, Lord, and use their happiness to glorify you. God, we love you and we need you and we praise your name. It's in your son's name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Okay, please rise for the worship team is going to close out the service. Uh, Scott and Greg will be up here. Greg and Scott, if you could come up here. If anyone needs prayer after the service, please come up. Bless you guys. Praise the Lord.